Welcome back to Fit for Adventure. I'm your host, Matt Gallo, and today we're talking to a guest who turned idea into action and went from deciding and thinking about climbing the tallest peak in North America to standing on the summit in just six months, all while running a successful media company, Morning Chalk Up. If you are thinking about getting into climbing, mountaineering, or even hiking, you'll learn a lot about what it takes to get started and get into this sport. And if you are a seasoned adventurer, you'll learn what it takes to get to the next level. We talk about the physical training down to specific workouts and how, at least for today's guest, doing CrossFit consistently in addition to his specific training for Denali helped him be not only prepared for the mountain, but feeling unstoppable and in the best shape of his life. We also talked about how to prepare yourself mentally and how to prepare things uh, in your home life and in your business life so you can go and do all these fun activities without losing momentum in your business. We also talk about decision making and how important it is to understand where you're at and understand your environment and the team you're working with when it comes to making decisions, when it's a matter of life or death, and how to overcome your fears in moments like this. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Please welcome to the show, Justin Lofranco. I remember, and I don't know if you remember this, but we met once, uh, October 2019, we were at the NC Fit Summit. Oh, no way. Yeah, I totally remember the summit. And uh, were, were we walking? Were, is it when we were doing the hiking? I think you and I got to actually speak one night, one of the nights we were uh, it was out. I think it was out at that bar that we went to at the stadium. That's the only, that's the time where we actually had a conversation. Other than that, like, man, that was that was such a fun at time. Bar at this, at the San, uh, yeah, that's right. At the stand in San Jose, it was for the or maybe it was Santa Clara, but it was for the Forty uh, ers Stadium, right, right outside. Oh, man, yeah, what a cool, cool experience event. that was, man. That was so much fun. So you're from NorCal. No, I'm actually you fly in. Oh, you were one of the in. gyms. You were one of the gyms. Okay. Yeah, man. I actually flew in from New York. Believe it or not, actually, right before that, I flew in from Denver. I was on my honeymoon for uh right before that. And we spent a week um driving around Colorado and hiking up mountains and uh oh, sleeping man. in a van. And it was it was interesting. That sounds very cool. It was pretty very cool. Nice. And, uh, and then I got on the plane and went to California and got to hang out with you guys for a couple of days. That was, that was interesting. Um, I had no idea you were into hiking, climbing, mountaineering, things like that. And, uh, and then, a, a it was a couple months later, probably a year later. I don't remember. I saw you on like Facebook or something talking about prepping for Denali, prepping yes, yes. Denali, right? <laughs> 
I'm like, yeah, oh man, that's so cool. It's it's like up on my bucket list. Um, and and at the time, and I had done some mountaineering before, but I was like, what does it really take to do that? What does it take to to <laughs> climb Denali? And I hadn't really known anyone that that was that far into mountaineering. That's what they were yeah. training for, you know. And, so it was interesting. It was really cool to watch your journey. And you did up, you like updated constantly on that. Yeah. Yeah. I did update uh, daily updates, uh, typing them back using, using yeah. uh, in my inreach to send messages back in, you know, like about 160 characters at a time. I was sending <laughs> back to my sister and like numbering them individually. Like, Hey, okay, this is one, then message two, message three message and stuff. And then she's posting, taking that, and then posting it to uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. So that yeah. people could just kind of follow along a little bit. And that's more of the narration because you can actually track our progress um, on the mountain through yeah. my inReach and it gives you a publicly available map that you know people can access and, and watch the progress updates. Uh, I think we set the update to be like every 10 minutes. So yeah. um, just a very, you know, very rudimentary way of doing it, but it worked and, and people found a lot of interest in in a group climbing and stuff, obviously most of, most of which were just our personal friends and family members who, uh, you know, obviously the best of interest in our, our success, but our safety. Um, and then, you know, some others that were from the CrossFit community, um, you know, were tuning in and watching our progress and, and eventually our success, which was kind of cool to, you know, get some messages from people being like, Oh, good job and stuff. And I was like, Oh man, that was, that was kind of fun. Oh, I bet. Kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm it. There, there's so many questions I have about Denali, and I I put it on my calendar for, um, for next year. I'm pl- I'm getting up there. Whoa. Um. That's awesome. But what really is like interesting, um, or what I'm thinking about the most is, you run a very successful company, um, that I imagine takes up a lot of your time, and just getting on this call, I realize. Yeah, you're in it. Yeah, like any yep, entrepreneur, like any it. entrepreneur, it's it's you're in right. that constantly, right? When 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 did you have the idea to to get on on Denali, which is which is a pretty big endeavor. It's a big you know, huge commitment for those who are unaware with aware yeah. of climbing Denali. It's it's a twenty twenty thousand three hundred ten feet, I believe, uh, and it's tallest mountain in North America. It's, it's all the way up in the polar regions of. North America, so it's in Alaska. It's formerly known as Mount McKinley. It's been changed back to its native name, Mount Denali. Um, and you have to take about a month off in order to do that. So it's it's very serious commitment. You know, for anybody who's ever taken off even two or three weeks at a time, um, even if it was just straight vacation and they don't need to do any prep or, or beyond packing their suitcase and booking hotels, uh, two or three weeks off is, is quite a large vacation at one time. Um, to take a month off is obviously a little bit larger. And then the logistical challenges of doing something like this um, and then running a company while preparing and doing this and then taking off for a month while running a company and be pe- people who are relying on you to, um, to be the boss and, and, and that provide that leadership to your team uh, is it can be very stressful and was very stressful. But mm-hmm. uh, to answer your original question, which is when did I start thinking about it? Um, I started the conversations with my climbing team started probably in November, December timeframe, a year before, 
So I climbed in May and June of 2020. And I started those conversations. We started talking about it, bringing it up in November, December of 2019. Is that right? No. November, December of 2020. May, June of 2021. There Mm. you go. So that was a little more than a year ago. Mm. That uh, It was was only about a six-month difference from thinking about it to going. Yeah, it was about a six, it was about a six, seven month time frame. And, and the full commitment though happened about January 13th or 14th was mm-hmm. when the full commitment to actually do it, completely do it. And now, to say at yes, that I'm time, good. did you go, I'm curious, did you go unguided? Because usually mm-hmm. by, by if with that yeah. short time frame, like you're not getting a guided perm spot. No, we were unguided on, yeah. our, on our expedition. Yeah, so this is this we were fully self-sustained mm-hmm. uh, this climb, uh, which obviously which obviously added to the complexity and the logistical challenges of something like this. So, um, yeah, and then once I decided, it was training, logistics, planning, and purchasing a heck of a lot of gear <laughs> too, yeah. which was a big big component of, of that of that endeavor. So, um, for all, all in, we were on the mountain twenty one days. So uh with with no real connection to the outside world minus te- a few text messages there's no internet anywhere mm-hmm. nearby so let's you buy some really expensive uh a sat mm-hmm. satellite internet plan of some kind and want to lug that gear up there um and people do sometimes in expeditions uh, mm-hmm. you're you're pretty much isolated from the rest of the world which is cool and not cool <laughs> it's cool when when you have very little responsibilities <laughs> Like that's a place people will go when, when there's nothing left. Right. Um, or when they can make the changes necessary or make the arrangements in their life and feel good. You can't work. You can't work from up there. So if you're, if you're, you know, I was like, when I signed off, I was like, Hey guys, uh, company's yours. So I can't help you. There's nothing I can do at this point. I can't even leave if I wanted to. So just don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Make it you easy. Know, I'd rather find out later on and not be worried about it while I'm up there. Was was this like was adventure always part of your life, or did this come into play like later on because you just decided yeah. this? Like, came, was this came something to play much later on? Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah, it was not. I did not grow up. Um, I mean, I had a sense of adventure, but I did not grow up um, regularly doing uh, things in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played basketball competitively. I spent most of my adolescent and um and high school years in and out of basketball gyms tournaments and on teams and traveling to the tournaments and and training outside and uh you know shooting and doing those kinds of things so that was that was very much a big part of my upbringing was was sports uh, very competitive sports and so um um so when i started my professional career uh, i was equally invested in that as I worked full-time in, in Washington, D.C., and that was a, a very demanding career that I was in there. So uh, it wasn't until I left uh, my career in politics and moved back to California that I was able to, and I wanted to be outdoors. I wanted to um, hike, or I didn't even think about ever climbing anything. I just I thought about hiking or uh, camping and, and other things that were, that were you know, 
outside of nature and, and away from the city. I wanted to do those things, um, but I hadn't done them yet. I, not as if I'd never been camping, but it was very infrequent. And then once I moved back to California, I started to make a concerted effort to seek out more uh, adventure and, and really get more involved in that and, and begin the baby steps process of, of doing something like Denali, which, which takes uh, several years, I think, uh, to work up to something like that, especially if you're going to go unguided and self-supported um, on, a, on a mission like that. Yeah, now we could definitely talk about the preparation for it, but I'm curious, what was the first, like when you said you went back to California and you were looking for that, you were looking for, a sen- you know, exploiting your sense of adventure. What was the first thing you dipped your toes into? What's the first thing you did? Uh, it was actually, it took regularly took horseback riding lessons. So really? I lived in, I lived in Norco, California, which is next to Corona in, in the Southern California area. And it's known as Horsetown, USA, oddly enough. Their position in SoCal in a very busy area of the Inland Empire, They're right next to Riverside, also the city of Riverside, which is uh, one, of the, one of the largest cities in Southern California. Um, and I think about 300 and something thousand people live in Riverside. So it's odd to have a city next to it that's called Horsetown, USA, but it was next to a nature preserve mm. in the Santa Ana River Valley. And so they had um, all these trails that could never be built on. And there was a, the Santa Ana River runs right through it. And so I, I took up riding lessons there every week. I would show up uh, around uh, sunrise and um, get on a horse and ride and, and do horsemanship training um, uh, all the way through. And so I did this for months and months and months. So I was able to get outdoors and ride in the early morning and stuff, even during the summertime and through the wintertime. And uh, meanwhile, I was getting a little bit more well-versed in, in hiking uh, California is beautiful, so especially Southern California. It's just beautiful mountain range right next to us, um, and it's it's like an hour away to get up there, and we're from where I lived. And so I was starting to hike a little bit more, dip my feet into that. But the first thing was horseback riding. I was uh, I was doing a lot of horseback riding, and that was a cool way of getting out. It wasn't just in a pen or an arena. I was actually out on the trail not just doing trail rides, but, um, you know, cantering and, um, uh, you know, riding up and down and choosing the direction of where I was going. So it was, it was really cool, cool experience and definitely something that was different than any, anything in Washington, DC. <laughs> what a skill to have too to be able to ride a horse. That's there, there's certain things that, you know, if you could do it, that you're, you're set in a certain environment. I think about, I want to go down to South America at some point. And like, that's how they travel. You know, that's how they travel a lot in a lot of places. Down yeah, you can pack. Yeah. Like packing out or packing in and packing out, uh, with a, with like, a um, you know, a horse pack, um, it would be a very cool experience to do that. Something like Argentina, Chile or, right. um, something like that, you know, especially if you're climbing, you know, there are some climbing endeavors to actually require you to pack on horses, um, especially really? when, when expedition styles. Yeah. If you go out. Um, parts of the Karakoram uh, mm-hmm. require horse, horseback travel, so um, you don't need to go very fast. You just uh, walk, um, so just, you know, just need to know how to sit. But, yeah, yeah. There's there's an expedition. Maybe maybe one maybe one day I'll do one of those. I, I it makes it so helpful too. I imagine because you're like, so like I think of um, I think of Everest because that's the most known. But to get from 
the airport to base camp is a several day hike. And I imagine yeah. if, you had a, if you had a horse, <laughs> cut the time down in half. Yeah, it would cut the time down, but I think it's part of the experience. I it don't, is part I don't of know. Experience. I know that they, I know that they pack in on mules, some things to a certain distance from Kathmandu into base camp area, but I don't think they make it all the way up. I, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah. Most people walk in. Yeah. Yeah. Is that on your list, by the way? Is is uh, nah. is something like Everest on your list? No. I would do the base camp, but I don't have any interest in climbing up. You'd go to base camp? Yeah, it's more of a fun kind of thing to be able to go up there and see it and experience it and see the mountain, you know, for yeah. yourself in, in the distance. But I personally do not have a lot of aspirations for climbing that mountain. Mm. That mountain specifically or um, yeah. higher altitude, like, you know, things... Uh, well, no, I mean, I have some higher altitude um, mountains on the list, but yeah. but that one specifically, no. And, and I could say pretty much all the 8,000 meter peaks don't really, are, are, aren't on my objective list at this stage. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that could change. Uh, most people just ask the Everest question because nobody really knows what the other seven are except for K2. So <laughs> I should say what the other six are. Yeah. Um, nobody really knows what they're called or, or, or much about them, to be honest. So. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I can't see it happening, but you never know. What's the reason for that? Is, is there is there a reason or just no interest? Um, yeah, some of the reasons specifically with Everest are it's a very commercialized mountain. Um, the difference between climbing a Denali un, unguided and climbing, really you can't do an unguided climb of Everest if, unless if you're a professional climber and apply for a special permit you can basically climb that alone or unsupported even then you don't climb it unsupported because generally speaking the amenities and the and the things that you have access to even food provisions and internet that you get at base camp um, are far above what you'd experience on like a denali which is much more of a of a true expedition style um, you have to bring and carry all of your own food and medical supplies, rescue gear yourself and choose and, 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 and make decisions on your own based off of how you're going to go up, when you're going to go up, um, how, how you're managing the route, which is, which is well-defined as in well-known, but not yeah. necessarily, uh, it's not as straightforward as just following a route specifically. Um, mm -hmm. You have to make decisions about crevasse danger and other elements to that, which really marshals your skills as a mountaineer. Your mountaineering skills is your ability to assess and monitor risk and danger, route finding, uh, reading the weather, and making logistical decisions based off of the available information you have there. And Everest is frankly a, a, a mountain that, that does not require all of those things at the same time. Though, mm. you know, um, the professional climbers that set routes on that mountain are doing things that are far and above uh, and are, you know, master climber status climbs. But, but to go and do a, a climb in the South Pole route um, is, is, is fairly straightforward. You are going to have a Sherpa along with you, either one-to-one -one or one-to-two Sherpa, to, Sherpa uh, to, to climber ratio. You'll get most of your meals cooked for you. You will um, not have to make a lot of decisions about when to go, where to go. The ladder crossings are set for you. All the rope travels. You don't really even need to know how to rope into a lot of the things. They'll show you how to do that when you arrive. You, you just you do need mountaineering experience, but you don't need to have very much technical knowledge. 
And so I'm like, well, that's mountaineering to me is, is, is the opposite description of those things. Mm. Um, climbing, it is an unbelievable achievement. It is unbelievably physically challenging. Um, and, and obviously it, it comes with a great risk uh, of your body just not being able to handle it. I'm not talking about falling and slipping. I just mean your body just shutting down and, yeah. and, and, and being incapable of, of, of doing the task any longer. Um, so you think that it, it attracts the wrong person at that not necessarily, I, I, I don't want, I, I don't think I can speculate on what attracts yeah. people to that mountain. I think that, um, everyone has their the reasons. easiest, yeah. easiest, obvious answer is people want to do the, the, the hardest, the tallest, the mostest of whatever. And they are drawn to those challenges and they are drawn to those challenges for different personal reasons, but they are drawn to those challenges when there is a mostest of anything. Someone will try and do it. Um, yeah. And so, and so I think that's the easiest answer for why people do it. Um, uh, but beyond that, I don't think I can speculate. I think for the 900 or so permits every year and the 400 or so summits per year or fewer that they have each a unique reason for doing what they're doing um, mm -hmm. successfully or unsuccessfully in the end, I think they all come in 900 different motivations. So for you, that factor of being like a prepared and skilled mountaineer is taken out a lot of the, from the Everest experience. And that's it's just, it's, it's just that, you know, I am seeking, everyone climbs, like I said, everyone climbs mountains for different reasons and different mm -hmm. mountains for different reasons. I'm seeking out a different challenge than just the tallest. Yeah. Um, and your ability to to climb as a as a, in true alpine style format is is that's just not what I'm from what I know about the mountain isn't 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 the experience I'm looking yeah. for. Um, there's obviously a fear factor involved. It's, it's a dangerous, uh, a challenging mountain, um, mm -hmm. but it's not about self doubt as much um, as is this is the risk of climbing that mountain worth what I am looking for in climbing, knowing that a hobby has danger is, is just yeah. being realistic. And there is obviously a lot of danger, but Denali, it's also quite a, quite a dangerous mountain as well. Um, uh, yeah. It hasn't claimed as many lives as Everest, but it, it is quite a dangerous mountain that, that has some, some very serious consequences. And um, uh, the appeal and, and the things that I was looking for um, was, was worth the risk. I remember when, going to a lot of like CrossFit competitions and talking to people that are so into competing. Um, there was this, uh, this thing I noticed about, uh, you know, a lot of the higher level competitors, they had a, this desire to be the best um, or compete at the highest level, like going to the CrossFit games or something like that. And then there's the other people that are really there to just enjoy it and enjoy the process, have fun with it. Um, or they have other reasons. And, and I'm talking about people who get pretty high up in, in competition and, you know, they're, they're not quite at that peak level, but do they, is there, is the aspiration there? And it, it, it gets me thinking um, about this. Cause I think about it all the time, you know, like what, what's my ambition with mountaineering? Do I want to climb Everest? Cause that, that, image of what Mount Everest looks like has been there for decades now at my, you know, in my life, just seeing it or hearing it, hearing stories. Um, and as I get more toward making that decision, it's, it's coming down to, do I really want to 
go and train at the highest level and be the best just to say I've done it? Um, or do I want to have fun and do what's challenging for me right now? And, and one day that might be, you know, that might be, uh, something that I can do because it, you know, I feel the call to it. You can say, um, I'm more interested in one of the other 8,000 meter peaks, like in Pakistan or something that that's more appealing to me because no one goes there or less people, less people go there. Oh yeah. There's that unexplored factor for me. That's so interesting. I'm very curious about it. Yeah. Um, you know, the 8,000 meter peaks are very, very serious, uh, serious climbs. I, I don't know how, how much your audience is, is yeah. aware of the, the challenges of 8,000 meter peaks, but well, they could watch uh, that movie that just came out. What is it? 14 peaks. Four, yeah. 14 peaks is a great, a great look at um, some of the uniqueness and it, it does tell a great story about mm -hmm. climbing all, all 14 of those mountains. And, um, you know, I think climbing is a very, very personal, um, for a lot of people, I mean, it can, mm. it can obviously be someone's career and objective, but even when you hear them talk about what they're doing, why they're doing it, um, most of them are not um, peak baggers necessarily. I mean, we all secretly want to uh, mm. like grab a number of peaks, like in, in, in you know, inside we're thinking about that a little bit, but mm. I think that climbing is, 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 isn't quite so the correlation between climbing, climbing and the CrossFit games is <laughs> not like, you know, to be a competitive climber, it's kind of, um, kind of defeats the climbing purpose or what we mm -hmm. consider to be the ethos of what a mountaineer is. Um, and, you know, like I wouldn't say that I, I don't really frown on anybody for the reasons for climbing. And I think that's, I think it's great. Like I don't frown on anybody for the reasons for crossfitting either. Yeah. It may not be my reasons, but they're their reasons. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, CrossFit is a, is a, is a, is a healthy choice, I think for, for uh, doing that. And there's obviously a broad spectrum that's, that includes the tip of the spear onto, um, you know, the, 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 the first timer that's just showing up at the gym for the first time with, you know, uh, very out of shape. So I don't, I don't, I don't really judge the reasons, but the general ethos of CrossFit is, is to, is, is that it's a functional, functional movement that's intended, it's very specifically intended to prepare you for life in its mo in its physical challenges that it presents itself. So, you know, it's GPP, general physical preparedness. And it's, if you want to go down even further than that, it's intended to mimic and mirror the fundamental movements that are basic human elements in order to keep you out of a nursing home as long as possible, or maybe forever outside of an injury or an accident or something that, that makes your body incapable of moving the way it was intended to move. It is to, it is to allow you to continue to move the way it was designed and intended to move for as absolutely long as possible. And so when you think about that as being, Hey, that's the general ethos of why we're all here is to pursue that mm -hmm. with that understanding the general ethos of climbing is also not to be uh, a peak bagger. Mm -hmm. Competitive climbers are um, mostly don't make it very long in their life. The lifespan of their life climber yeah. is not just because they're trying to do their, you know, speed climbers, goalie stack, you know. There's definitely some who do it and, uh, and they have their own personal reason for it. Like you said before. 
who want to bag all the peaks. And there's, there's a reason for it, I'm sure. And it's, it's irrelevant too. It's, you know, yeah, it's irrelevant to me in the sense that each climbers uh, are approaching their objectives individually. Yeah. Um, Even if you're on the mountain at the same time, even if you're on the mountain in the same team, um, you know, it's very serious endeavor, especially the more serious it climbs, the more serious it becomes and the more serious skills it requires. And, uh, um, that is part of the appeal and, and mm-hmm. the enjoyment of, of that is not that it's dangerous. It's, it's that the expedition climbing years of a singular focus of a singular mindset, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're really of one mind individually and as a team about mm-hmm. how to achieve this objective together. Um, and climbing is a team sport, much more so than it is an individual sport. To get to the top while your team wastes away uh, 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 would be would be uh, well, wouldn't be a very good climber in a team respect. So when you're doing expedition climbing, you're climbing as a team, and you have to work together and work through those problems, challenges, and attitudes, and crankiness, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, personalities as much as, as the physical challenges too, which is, is, is certainly anything for team sports. And it's a fun way of, um, it's a fun way of pushing yourself physically. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like to be challenged physically. I think across, so CrossFit, obviously, uh, I get to do that every day uh, on the long journey of life. In the mountains, uh, you get to do that in a concentrated thing with a very specific objective. We want to climb to the top of this mountain and then climb back down safely um, and do that as a team together and stuff. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a great uh, manifestation and expression of what CrossFit was designed for mm-hmm. is that I'm prepared to go up pretty much any mountain tomorrow because I spend every day in the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, I spend four or five days a week in the gym training and 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 and, and prepared for fundamental functional movement. Well, walking uphill mm-hmm. is fairly fundamental to life and to and 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 to what you would do on a regular basis. Just so happens I'm carrying a heavier pack and uh, there's snow on the ground, so you know, <laughs> not really all that much different. But um, but that's and I attribute a large portion of the success of my climbing career so far in the last four or five years is because of CrossFit. It is what mentally and physically prepared me to take on those challenges. Now, something like Denali, I had to change my training a little bit mm-hmm. to, to become more specific. Like I could probably run a marathon this weekend. I wouldn't run it great. Uh, I'm a good runner. I train well and train hard and I'm used to running. So I'd probably be able to hobble one together. I could definitely walk 26 miles in a day. So yeah. I'm pretty sure I could get there, right? It wouldn't be anything spectacular. I wouldn't brag about it, but I could probably get one done this weekend. With Denali, you have to start thinking about it like an ultra marathon. You're like, okay, if I could do a marathon this weekend, you're mm-hmm. like, could I do an ultra marathon? And the answer is probably not without injuring myself. Yeah. Probably something would flare up and would prevent me from even continuing. Maybe my feet might just get beat up from mm-hmm. the pounding or my knees or my hips, or I just might, I just might, or all, all of those things, right? You know, I just might not be prepared. So, yeah, I had so to what did you do differently? Or what did you add in to, to get yourself ready working so up? To a lot more running. Uh, more running. I, I, I did a lot more running. I did a lot of sports specific type things. So again, you know, if you're thinking about joining an ultra marathon, you better be lacing up your running shoes and do a lot of running. So I was doing a lot of sled drags because when you climb the mountain, you actually drag a sled up the mountain with a lot of gear. So you carry a hundred and were you on skis or were you in snowshoes? No, no, no. We were crampons and crampons and snowshoes. So we were, we were, um, 
we had 130 to 150 pounds each of gear behind you. Well, some of it was on our back, some of it was in the sled. And we were carrying this uphill. So we did a lot. I did a lot of sled drags. Pretty much three to four days a week, I would do a minimum of a one mile sled drag in the parking lot, the 65 pound sled, and anywhere from 30 to 40 pound backpack. And I would just walk in circles in this parking lot <laughs> and, and, and outside of my gym, you know, and, and I would do a minimum and that was like a warm up. That wasn't a workout. That was a warm up. Yeah. And then I would go do various different workouts involving a lot of step ups, a lot of higher heart rate, a lot of repetition. So, I mean, I would try to hit 300 to a thousand step ups a week. And I would do these in periods of time where I would spend you know, everyone's done a step up workout, 50 step ups or something, you know, with a, with a dumbbell or something. I would use a rucksack because it was a little bit more padded and I could add weight and I would do this as a backpack, right? So you want to stimulate that, 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 um, yeah, the experience that you're going to, exactly. You want to mimic that environment. So I would use boots. Sometimes it would be like, okay, 350, 450 <laughs> step ups per time. And I would try and get it faster, um, and a weighted heavier weighted lunges, weighted sled drags, weighted runs, a lot of, uh, a lot of time under tension. You want to, you want longer workouts. So I would do skier weighted lunge workouts or, or bike, sorry, biker weighted lunge workouts. So it's all, mm. it's all quad dominant. You just tax the quads you get off it and you tax the quads a little bit more. So you're yeah. like, Oh man, no breaks, no rest, tons of time under tension, um, intervals with minimal rest. So it might be a five to six minute interval with one 60 second break. And then, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. So I started changing and I, I kept all my workouts. So they're all written in this book. Nice. Um, and I essentially started training for about four months. Okay. Um, and that included some mountain climbing. So I did some winter ascents while I was, while I was, um, doing my preparation and training into, um, into increasing the gym training. So where'd you, where'd you go for, for a winter ascent? Uh, I did in California, to, in California, Mount Agassiz unsuccessful, but the training was, was important. And, and it was the beginning of some building blocks, uh, for that. I did went and climbed Mount Shasta, uh, mm-hmm. in March, uh, which is up in Northern California. It's a very tall 14,000 foot volcano, uh, up, up, up above Redding. So even above Sacramento or San Francisco, yeah. um, actually it's a lot closer to Oregon than it is to San Francisco. And then I climbed Mount Adams in Southern Washington. Uh, we did a multi-day climb of that from about four and a half thousand feet all the way up to 12,000 feet back, um, with another guy on the climbing team. And so we were preparing, we were practicing. And then I did another winter ascent in, um, in, in, in the more local mountain range at about 10,500 feet, um, mm-hmm. starting from pretty low down and, uh, uh, had a great climb doing that. So, uh, I was doing that and then I was in the gym training for, I would do minimum hour long training days. And it was pretty much like an hour of training. It's not, you know, uh, more of a CrossFit style format. Mm-hmm. It was an hour of, fit, of, of training. And what I would do with the gym is I was like, Hey guys, I know you guys are doing a strength portion. Uh, I told the owners, so it was like, I'll join in for the wad but I'm going to be doing this for the next 25 minutes. I'll be doing step ups yeah. or sled dragging, drag a sled a mile unbroken. It still takes you, especially at 65 pounds with a, with a, you know, 30 to 40 pound rucksack still takes you like 24 minutes. So I'm like, all right. So I just grab the, the thing, set it up and then just start walking. You don't really need to warm up very much to do that. Especially yeah. if it's your 40th sled drag. 
<laughs> you know, in, in, in succession and in, in, within frequency. So I would typically do stuff like that. And then I would jump in for the wad a, because it broke up the monotony of training. And I just loved CrossFit so much. I did, I was like, ah, oh, man, I missed just, you know, I want to do some pull-ups or something you know, tired <laughs> of using my lower body so much. And, and, and then it, it broke up that and allowed me to train with others. And that, that broke up the monotony of training. You're still getting a good, I, you're yeah. still getting a good workout either way, even if oh, it's great workout either way, but you cannot ignore, you know, to do, to do the hard things, you cannot ignore the preparation that that requires. And it's in CrossFit, CrossFit 10 minute, 15 minute workouts is not going to get you up Denali. You need the repetition on your ankles. You need the repetition on your feet, on your hips, on your legs of going up and down and up and down. And that, that is, it would be like saying, Oh, you know what? It's like a strong man. Mm-hmm. saying, oh yeah, you could, you could do greats better than Dan Bailey. Well, the truth is that weight is nothing to those guys, but yeah. very few of them can do grace in one minute because that repetition is not there. They ever right. have that training and they may even wake up the next day sore for whatever reason. They're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I didn't think I was going to, I don't know if they, they are. I'm yeah. just trying to draw, kind of draw a parallel between that, but we've seen strong men uh, do grace before or Isabel. And yeah. they're like, oh man, I got to like rep 15 and I was smoked. <laughs> because of I, I, I think um, I like, I like CrossFit as the, the foundation and it really gives you that foundation. And then when, when you get the opportunity to, you know, train for something, uh, whatever it is, you can, you're, it helps to specialize right now. I'm training for Ironman. So my, my m- main training is, is endurance and the last time I did anything like that, I did only CrossFit and I did okay. And this time I'm changing it completely, taking it seriously and, you know, going from where I'm at in, you know, by CrossFit standards um, and figuring out what the holes are that I need to fill. In that case, it's reps, it's, you know, cyclic movement, it's endurance, it's just time under tension, like you said. So my body remembers what it feels like to be in that scenario. And that's going to translate super well to climbing. I'm sure too. Uh, I'm curious what, when you, um, you did all this preparation, which it sounds like, you know, a a really good amount of preparation for this, um, and help, you know, of course it helps giving, given like your, um, what you do for work and the people you spend time with, right. You have access to all these things and knowledge, you know, uh, for sure. But was there anything or any time where you felt unprepared or anything that you felt you could have done better to prepare or get ready for? No, I was physically, uh, I was physically and mentally prepared for the climb. Um, I could always say that my skills could be better and your skills can always be better um, especially mm-hmm. as a climber it's a it's a knowledge is a cumulative um a cumulative thing in the climbing environment right so you're building upon knowledge whereas um you know when you're doing something just purely physical it's are you physically prepared to do it right and so this is that, that in the skills area I, I was as skilled as needed I would always say, yeah, I could be a more skilled climber that would have enabled me to, uh, to climb a little bit more efficiently or set up my tents more efficiently or my camp more efficiently. But I, I had this, I had the skills and the knowledge required and I was physically and mentally very prepared. In fact, I, I felt the strongest I've ever felt climbing when I came into Denali. 
So I was prepared for the task. And I mean, the first day, usually you climb uh, in the evening because the, it's, it's a little bit safer for passing the lower glacier and you're going to be carrying the sled. It's a seven mile walk with this sled behind you. And I felt completely fine mm. the whole seven mile walk. And that's the longest, single longest portion of your climb is the cross of, of the lower glacier. And I, I, yes, it was hard. It was challenging. It took a long time, but I was completely prepared for that physically where that was not a problem for me to do. And most people, they consider that in day two to be the hardest days, the hardest day, physical days. Cause you are carrying so much weight. Mm-hmm. There's some harder parts of climbing. There's some very physical climbs um, in there, but I was completely ready for those days. That was, that was not a walk in the park. But, um, but I had more left in the, much more left in the tank by the time I arrived. I said, okay, cool. Yeah, this is, this is, we got this. What, what needed to be true in your, uh, for you to be able to go and do that? Yeah, you, know, you did all these months of training and this goes more into what you do for work. The fact that you own a business, you're running a company, there is a busy season with that business too. Yeah. I'm so, you know, what, what did you have to make sure was happening in order for you to, you know, one spend hours a, a week training, right. Or hour additional hours a week training and, and also actually taking the, the three or so weeks off. What, what did you have to do to plan for that? Or, you know, were you, ready were you ready to go and you know take the time yeah i was very ready i was uh you know know, i started the i started the logistical planning purchasing training right around mid-january um so that's jan january february february to march march to april april to may it was about four full it was four full months Mm -hmm. of preparation and execution um so training is one element of that Logistics is another element of that. Purchasing all your equipment is another element yeah. of that. Make, preparing your, my, my work team for my absence is another element of that. Really, I whittled my life down to Denali and work. That's it. Because yeah. um, Denali was obviously training, logistics, planning, purchasing, and it required me to go for a weekend out. So, I mean, that's travel. That's another travel set. That's another more logistics I have to set for that other mountain and, and things like that. And I had to pack and repack and I had to have all my food packed and I had to do research around how much, how many calories I needed and what types of food could weigh less and still give me as many calories as possible and stuff like that. So it, it, if I boiled it down to one thing, it's preparation. It's mm-hmm. preparation that allows you, well, in preparation and execution, you have to execute on, on, on every day on something like that. Mm-hmm. And you think about it. If you're like, what's the ratio for climbing for a month? I was gone for like 29 days. So climbing or being gone for a month, how many days of preparation do you need mm-hmm. to prepare your life for that? Well, chances are it's not one, it's probably not seven. So I don't know what the ratio is, but I, for, for being gone one month, I prepared for four. Okay. So that's how long I spent making plans and decisions and executing all of those things. I took four months to be gone for one. 
So I think, I don't know if that's a ratio that makes sense in any particular area of somebody's life. Certainly, I would say physical preparation for somebody that doesn't have as, as high of a level of fitness or doesn't regularly work out to this degree mm-hmm. um, is probably longer. I mean, I, yeah. I think I know and maybe and maybe that's the reason why people don't make it up to now because only as a 50 percent. <laughs> it doesn't really even have a 50 percent success rate. It's just a way less. Around, yeah, no, it's not way less. I think it can be 45 to like. 45 to 50% successful. So 50%. Okay. Half the people don't make it up to the top. And some of those reasons are because of physical fitness. Some of them it's just bad luck. Some of them it's because you have blisters on your feet. Why do you have blisters on your feet? Well, maybe it's because you're out of shape and you're climbing on a mountain. Maybe it's because you chose wrong socks. I'm not going to say it's all physical, mm-hmm. but phys- but your physical preparedness has a lot to do with your success rate. Well, you can still take out the variables by preparing, by practicing, training. Correct. Right. Correct. So altitude sickness is something that can happen to anyone. Yeah. So that can certainly be a factor. Uh, with things like this, there's there's factors that come into play that you definitely cannot control. And and then absolutely. and then there's also ways that you can maximize your like potential. Uh, right. or your ability to be successful. And uh that's where the preparation comes in. And for people listening, like uh, the endeavor usually is a multi-year decision of planning, getting things in order, usually finding a guide. I would recommend people go with a guide um, unless you really know people and you know, for you the most part, yes. <laughs> I would definitely recommend you find a guide and, and honestly guided experiences on mountains are total are a ton of fun. Um, you don't get that, that, same uh challenge though of having to route find and um do a lot of make a lot of the decisions in yourself so you you'll get the skills but it'll take longer right um and most people will spend years right i imagine for you though like because of your already like base level of fitness four months was enough and yeah that that worked out yeah i've been climbing unguided for a majority of my career and yeah. I have a team of climbers that also have the requisite experience. And if it had been just me, I would not have been prepared to lead a team up yeah. by myself uh, um, um, and bring three or four other people with me. I would not have had that experience, but everybody collectively had enough experience to do this properly and appropriately and safely to mm-hmm. safe to, to, I mean, as much as safe as we can make it. Yeah. Um, and with the, with the total knowledge there, and that can be, and again, it's yes, accumulated over years. I started, I started mountaineering four or five years ago. And so that makes a big difference. You have to build upon that knowledge year over year over year. And it takes a lot of time to do that. Um, and the knowledge is just one mountain. There's, there's yeah. plenty of other mountains that, are, are great starter mountains or mid-grade mountains. There's plenty of mountains that I still climb that kick my butt. Denali is, is just one yeah. uh, of, of many and it presents unique challenges and each one is unique. Were you, were you just on Rainier? I was, yeah. Um, I was uh, climbing up uh, the Couts route of Rainier and uh, unsuccessfully, uh, some things out of our control or a bit of the, the snow conditions of the upper portion of the mountain. We, we got to a, uh, um, a traverse across what shouldn't have been a, a very large wind slab, but was a very large wind slab. Um, 
it's unclear how deep the wind slab was, but it, it was certainly in the teens <laughs> yeah. and possibly even deeper than that. Um, and it, it was in an unstable zone at sort of what we consider to be an impassable snow degree angle that made it um, uh, not impassable, but, but unsafe or, or, or had the potential at a high degree of hazardous potential. And high risk, right? Call it, we, call it, we decided to call it there. And it wasn't just that. If it was just that, there, there, there could have been some safe ways of protecting it mm-hmm. um, from any kind of avalanche or runout situation. But uh, we had ropes, we had pickets, we had ice axes, ice screws, we had all of the technical um, safety materials to, to make this. But the other issue was that we were facing a summit. We we're carrying all of our gear over the mountains and returning down a different route. Um, and we weren't sure that the route was open on the other side of the mountain for similar reasons because they had been hammered with storms. With a high degree of crevasse uh, of danger on that side, um, without a lot of known um, and knowledge on the, on the summit of the mountain because people hadn't been up there for quite a while uh, mm-hmm. because of the storms, we just decided that we felt like if we had, if we, if we were uns, if we felt it was unsafe to return in that direction. It would definitely be unsafe to return this direction, even if we made it through. So if we made it through, we made it to the top, we're like, we are 100% do not want to return this route because in the later portion of the day, it would be sun laden and, and could, could be very unstable. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to return the other side, but we didn't know if anybody had been up to, to have a scout of the route. And the route is particularly cross crevasse prone, and we're talking cathedral sized crevasses. So um, yeah. these are uh, these are um, hundred feet deep um, and and potentially fatal. But with nobody up there, you're relying on yourself. Visibility it's low. These are situations and circumstances that you have to assess along the way. So we said, hey, we kicked butt. We uh, we climbed hard. We climbed high. We climbed fast. We had a great day on the mountain. Just wasn't the cards for us. So. That was, uh, I came back on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. So only six days ago. <laughs> yeah. We, do you ever feel disappointed when that happens? Sometimes. Um, my, my preference is always it's either an obvious yes or an obvious no. Yeah. Um, and this was, this was kind of an obvious no. Um, I hate it when it's a gray area. Hmm. Um, then regret kind of ensues sometimes, or especially if you hear of other people going up this. And, and you didn't, and you're like, oh, I knew it, and you should have, and I, I thought it was going to be fine and stuff. But no, in this instance, we didn't have any regret. Um, the mountain wasn't in the cards. Uh, I'm not saying it couldn't be climbed. It, it, we did not feel, even given our experience uh, on, on many other mountains and peaks, we did not feel it was the, the right call. So with that, it's, it's, it's relatively easy to not, be, not have regrets, right? You know, you're like, oh, shoot. You don't, you don't, yeah, but if you that. find out other people made it up or you know took the same route, then you, yeah, you're like, Oh, I guess we could have done it if we had only had nobody that. else was even on the route right? on that side of the mountain. We were the only ones up there by far. Um, yeah, that's an unusual, so, unusual route. It's 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 climbed every year, but it's not, um, no, it, it, it's very possible to be on that route and be the only people on that route. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it mirrors sort of a popular disappointment cleaver and Ingram direct route, which is, which is on the same side of the mountain, mm-hmm. but this is on a wholly separate glacier 
with separate challenges. Um, and that, that was what drew us to that was that we were going to get a little bit more of a steep ice pitches um, mm-hmm. to be able to, to climb through. And um, so you went with and ice tools and, and we're doing yeah. some climb, like climbing. Ice climbing. Yeah, that was the intention was to climb up this uh, this ice fall around this ice fall area and then up this ice pitch. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, didn't happen. That's OK. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, mountain will be there another day. It's true. It's true. Was there was there any moment on any of your adventures uh, where you felt fear or you felt afraid? Absolutely. Um, I think I think fear is a natural byproduct of doing anything new. That is that is anything new, and anything new that is also risky, inherently risky. As in, could I be hurt, harmed, or or potentially fatally injured <laughs> um, from doing this? And so, I think when you do anything new, it could be like just a good example. Like oh, I ran a motorcycle for the first time, right? There's an element of fear to that until you get that comfortability. Yeah. So over the years, and, and unlike motorcycle riding, well, no motorcycle, you can always go fast on a motorcycle and go faster or take turns sharper. And there's an element of fear. And similarly with climbing, you can always uh, do something with a little bit bigger runouts or a little taller, um, perhaps uh, on a steeper slope. And uh, there's many variations to all of those. Um, but yes, I remember the first time I summited a glaciated peak. It was this um, shark's fin kind of summit with like, I don't know, about as wide as a desk. It was about the, uh, wide as a desk, not as long as a desk wide. I mean, as wide as a desk, so about three feet. Uh, and that was, was a, that? that was a Eldorado, Mount, El, Mount Eldorado or Eldorado Mountain, I forget. It's in the North Cascades mm-hmm. up in Washington State. And it was my first glaciated peak. So not, not a hike or anything. It was full on uh, crampons and ice axes and roped up and crevasse danger and stuff. And, and, and each side dropped off at like 60 degrees. It's a shark spin right into the sky to the summit, to the summit pinnacle there. And it was, it was really cool experience, but I was a little bit freaked out because you're like, you know, the instructions were kind of like, Hey, one of you guys falls, jump off the other side. <laughs> like, wait, the other guy. <laughs> Yeah, because you need to create that balance, right, on the ropes. Yeah. So if one person falls to the right, you need to go left. That means you have to basically commit to falling yeah. off the mountain to not die. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, man. this. I bet just hearing that and thinking about very it unsettling. and picturing very unsettling. it. I remember practicing, uh, like, glacier skills and we're doing, like uh, – falls on you know on ice and catching yourself on the mountain mm-hmm. axe um i remember practicing that and then having you know an instructor tell us about what could happen you know if someone falls through a crevasse what do you do and and i'm just right. thinking like well i don't even want to think about this happening and then as i'm actually crossing over a crevasse looking down it's a hundred or hundred feet or so down and and i'm like man i don't want to be the guy that falls or has to fall and and break or rescue because either way it's going to suck no fear is a big part of climbing and i think that's a, yeah. a, one of the draws is not that it's that it is scary i think it's about overcoming fear i think it's about mm-hmm. it's about um learning the skills and the knowledge needed and and getting the ex- expertise or the experience enough 
to be able to take on challenges for yourself. And I think, so I'm not, and there are people that do thrill seek in the mountains. That's the, that's their own um, approach. And like I said, people have different motivations. I, I like the challenge, physical, mental, and that's definitely a mental and physical challenge is overcoming fear. It's physical because of the preparedness required. It's physical so that you know you're physically prepared for the challenge at hand, which is maybe I don't have the skills to take on that climb. That's okay. That's where you learn. And fear, in riding that line between fear and chaos is kind of how you decide ultimately to learn new skills to say, hey, you know what? I'm peering over the edge of chaos. I am not prepared for chaos or whatever chaos looks like over here, but I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to go back and I'm going to reassess my skill or my ability. And I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to now set off on a mission to learn the thing. So now your line between fear and chaos has moved. So um, you're kind of, you know, if you're going to push yourself to more challenging environments, you're going to be riding that line to a certain degree. I'm not a thrill seeker. I like to go in with challenges. I don't mind fear. I don't mind being afraid of certain things. It happens to me all the time while I am climbing. I do, uh, uh, I do assess scenarios and I go, well, this is mm-hmm. going to be interesting, but I'm okay with it and let's do it. You know, it doesn't mean that there is no fear. Um, but, uh, it, 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 it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but it does still happen. Yeah. And it's not ever crippling fear where I am completely, I've never found myself in a situation where I was completely done for and had no idea what I was doing almost, but, but, but mm. I have not been completely there yet. So I've managed to make them all out and, and thankfully I'm making, uh, what I think are, are, are the right decisions, um, that, that lead to long-term success uh, of climbing and hopefully a long climbing career. Mm. Yeah, when there's the fear response, there's fight, flight, or freeze, right? And, and a lot of people freeze usually when they don't have the, the knowledge, skills, or experience to know what to do in the moment. Um, when, you can, when you can actually stand there and then fight, um, then fear becomes really useful, I think. Um, especially if you actually have the skills and um more so the decision making skills like the critical thinking and um being able to weigh risk versus reward and decide thing i'll say that people healthy. don't don't know or don't uh, may, many do not know is is that um when you're climbing afraid mm-hmm. or when your sense of danger is very heightened yeah and um you it is it is far more exhausting yeah. than you would imagine as in you finish this like sketchy pitch and you're like down climbing this super sketchy, hard packed snow area, like completely unroped. And you're like jamming your ax into the snow. Like it's the last thing you're going to do. And you're, you get done with this and like your arm is like wiped because you don't Boston. realize it at the time, but it is an adrenaline stimulus. It's the fight stimulus. It's not the flight stimulus. When you're climbing under fear, or a heightened sense of danger, a very heightened sense of danger, you are, you are literally marshalling all of your animalistic resources to ensure you, your safety. And um, so I remember climbing like that, coming down this pitch on Mount Ritter, and I was like, this is garbage snow climbing because it's like 50 degrees and it's super hard pack. And I didn't really have a great axe for it. It wasn't a more technical axe. It was just a basic staff axe, you know, yeah. black, black diamond raven. We call them staffs because they're so dang long. Yeah. 
heads up. And I'm like down climbing this section, section. I'm just like, this is so messed up and not safe. And I don't want to fall down this because it's like 200 feet. I'm going to be sliding down this hard pack. And I'm not saying I'm going to die, but it's definitely not going to feel good when I get to the bottom or along the way as I'm sliding down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, those moments are, they're, they're tough to handle. It's tough to get out of that like feeling when you're, when you're in it or when you start there. Uh, I want to wrap this up. Uh, be respectful of your time. What, uh, two more questions though, if that's all right. Sure. What, what have you observed about yourself, um, throughout all this, um, in regards to, I mean, we talked a, a ton about decision-making and skill acquisition, but what have you observed about like your ability as a, as a leader for your business and how, how is, how has this helped you or changed you? Well, um, I think like any, um, like any skill, um, being a student is required before beginning a master. So um, I don't think of owning a business as being the best at everything, but it does require you to go through the processes of learning skills as a student. So going back to school can mean anything. It doesn't mean you're going back to school. It just means that you are putting yourself in a position of, uh, where you need to be taught and where you need to learn and you need to listen. Um, great bosses don't forget what it means to be teachable or to be a student of something. Doesn't mean you, you know, have to climb or do, you know, learn new skills and be a novice at something in order to be a great boss. But I think that that is uh, a skill set that is very important. I think it allows you to be empathetic to the process, empathetic to staff that work for you, but it also um, it expands your mind, expands your thinking. Um, and so going back and being a student of something, being humbled mm-hmm. by uh, the knowledge that you don't have, that you're demonstrated uh, through your instructors or through the others that are around you. I consider my friends to be my instructors in this instance to teach me uh, how to make the right decisions and skills. And, you know, you, you are in a position of learning and of, of, of gaining new knowledge. Being a student is, is a great thing. I think, especially once you're 10, 15 years removed from college, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we're often thinking of ourselves as the, the knowledgeable one in the equation. Well, this is a great environment where you are not the knowledgeable one. In fact, you are uh, a dummy and you don't know anything unless if you've been taught. And so um, I've really appreciated that. Uh, insight and that perspective shift um, is where I'm not the guy calling the shots and I shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Jack. I need to shut up and I need to listen and observe and I need to soak up the knowledge from those who are around me and watch and observe their skills and apply that to my skills and then understand the reasons why they're making those decisions. And so in business, we're making decisions. So someone goes, and I remember asking my boss, hey, why are you doing that? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. And, 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 and they, they explain it to you and you're like, oh, I never really, I didn't do, it's not a yes, because a lot of business isn't yes or no answers. A lot of strategy is not yes or no answers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, putting yourself in a position to be a student and observe, I think it's a great uh, outcome of, of deciding to take on a new skill here in life. I like that frame. I like the way you frame that. 
and uh, yeah, the, the mountains can definitely be a good teacher and, it, and the, the humility you gain from it's it. It's really an honest one. Cause you're not definitely an honest you one. Will be, you will be broken. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely humbles you. And I could, I could definitely see how that can be valuable when you're working on a team in, you know, on the mountain, off the mountain, it doesn't matter. Um, last question. What, it, what does being fit for adventure mean to you? Well, I think, again, every adventure is different and looks different, just like everybody's goals for a mountain are different and motivations for those mountains are different, just like CrossFit as being a GPP program. Um, I think it's as varied as that. Some people come to CrossFit and they say, you know what, what what is your goal? I want to be able to play with my grandkids because right now I can't. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to be able to, um, you know, look good in a bathing suit. Great. Because I don't right now or I don't feel like I do. I want to be able to stay in the nursing home for the next 75 years because I want to live a long life and enjoy everything that's out there. Um, and, and so, and so being fit for adventure is, is as basic and varied as that to me. There's no definition. Your adventure can be walking on flat land outside through the trees and getting to enjoy that and experiencing that because that person has no aspirations to climb the mountain. Climbing a mountain is really a metaphor for many different things. I mean, mountain for you could be a backpacking trip. It could be no backpacking whatsoever. It could just be a trip. It could be the fact that you can now, you know, you don't have to sleep in a, on a specialized bed. You're more comfortable because your body's more mobile and you're able to go on a road trip for the first time in 10 years. Um, that, that adventure is in all respects as varied as the individual. And, it's, and, it's, and, and, and there's no... There's no better than or bigger than, and that's maybe why things like Everest don't appeal to me as much, uh, because those who are doing it are only many of which are motivated by getting to the top, to the ultimate. Mm. Um, and, and in CrossFit, I don't think we even see what we do physically as the ultimate or the final or the, yeah. the best, biggest step, you know those who make it to the CrossFit games do so every year. So make it to the CrossFit games. is kind of like, well, congratulations. You did it once. Yeah. That's, 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 that's nice. And, or, uh, a little bit more than nice. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> badass thing to do. Um, and, not, and just like climbing Everest is a pretty badass thing to do and a very challenging thing to do, but being fit for adventure is, is just as varied uh, as the reasons why we are um, fit for life in CrossFit. And that's our goals here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I can be any more specific than that because, because yeah. adventure is, is so unspecific, Subjective. It is so not yeah. specific, it is so individualized. Um, and, 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 and that's why the outdoors encompasses so much, of mm-hmm. for us rafting outdoors. Hey, Hey, by the way, if you spend a lot of time on a rowing or you'd be really great for taking kayaking trips. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. always the point for me when, when it came to working out, when it came to CrossFit is like, I want to be able to do cool stuff outside and whatever that, whatever that is. And, and that was even whatever part of is. the pitch, you know, when I, when people would walk into the gym and I'd sell them on membership, it was, well, do you want to be able to do, what do you want to be able to do with this, right. with this new, with this fitness or with this ability um, that you're going to gain from being a member at this gym? And that tend that blew people's minds sometimes because they didn't realize, well, I, I can actually go and do that thing. So 
Thank you for that. It's a whole new set of doors. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What's next for you? You have anything coming up or planned? Um, I might, I might take another go at Rainier um, later this summer after the game, right after the games. Um, if, if the if the conditions of the mountain are still still okay later in the season, but um, if if not that, then I do have definite plans to be climbing Ecuador and Argentina in January. So I'll be doing another expedition out there and. Uh, don't know the specific dates or details yet, um, or the, uh, but the specific mountains are going to be Aconcagua, which is a 23,000, just yeah. a shade under 23,000 feet, tallest mountain in South America. And then three sort of minor, minor, or minors, <laughs> like, maybe not the right word, but minor peaks in Ecuador um, yeah. that are in the, in the 17, 18, and 19,000 foot range um, as warm ups. So we'll do those in about a week and then we'll spend a couple of weeks on Aconcagua trying to summit that mountain. Um, later on in January. Nice. It's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get training pretty soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, man, for, for this conversation and for taking the time and sharing your stories. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, where can people find you or, or follow your, your journey? Um, so for, you, for the cross-related stuff, for the cross-related stuff, um, I would say go to, uh, uh, morning chalk up on Instagram at morning chalk up, um, or you can go to morningchalkup.com If you're, uh, looking to get your CrossFit fix, we're, we'll definitely uh, get on the email. Yeah. You're going to need, yeah. And get on their new daily newsletter. We'll send you out, um, lots of great content going on across the CrossFit spectrum. Um, and then me personally, I'm at chalk up JLO, JLO. Um, that's, that's my own personal Instagram account where pretty much I only ever post about climbing, um, business and climbing. That's your life, right? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good life. Thank you so much. One more time for listening, listening to this episode, listening to fit for adventure, the whole podcast. And please make sure you head over to Apple podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your shows and subscribe to this show. Share this episode if you really liked it. You, you know someone that, that really needs to hear it and, and, and would enjoy it. And rate, leave us a review. The number one thing you can do right now to support this podcast is leave us a review. When we read our, the feedback that we get from our audience and it doesn't have to be uh, a direct review on the podcast app it can be a message to, to me it could be an email any way that you can just let us know what you're thinking and, and if you liked something if you didn't like something what you'd like to hear more of this is like the fuel for the fire it keeps me motivated and working hard on putting out great content and also make I, I get to make sure that um, I'm providing content and value that you actually use and enjoy. So once again, head over to wherever you find your podcast, leave us a review, you know, put five stars in because that's the most you can and share it with a friend. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you on the summit.